Thank you for joining me for Soulful Conversations with my community of fellow travelers, exploring the heart, the mind, and the globe. These conversations highlight what travel really means for the world. Soul of Travel honors the passion and dedication of the people making a positive impact in tourism. Each week, I'll be speaking to women who are tourism professionals, world travelers, and leaders in their communities. We'll explore how travel has changed them and how that has rippled out and inspired them to change the world. These conversations are as much about travel as they are about passion and living life with purpose, chasing dreams, building businesses, and having the desire to make the world a better place. This is a community of people who know travel is more than a vacation. It is an opportunity for personal awareness, and it is a vehicle for change. We are thought leaders, action takers, and heart-centered change makers. I'm Christine Weinbrenner-Eyrich, and this is The Soul of Travel. Dee Gibson is a London-based interior designer and hotelier and a regular speaker and panelist. Dee works with clients and colleagues across the world and believes that these cross-influences and connections bring an enriched portfolio of work through an exploration of other cultures and viewpoints. Positive international influences create a colorful, nurturing world. As founder of Kalukanda House, a luxury villa in Sri Lanka, Dee has used the interplay between design and travel to delight guests in Sri Lanka and inspire clients in London. In our conversation, we examine this intersection of design and travel and how they work together to deepen the experience. We also talk about conscious travel and how choices in where we stay, how we engage with local culture, support local guides, and slow down and immerse all create a more responsible and equitable travel experience. This conversation touches a little bit on many things that we are both passionate about, and I'm delighted to be able to share it here with you. Join me now for my soulful conversation with Dee Gibson. Welcome to Soul of Travel. I'm Christine and I'm the host of the podcast and the founder of Lotus Sojourns. And I am so happy to be sitting down today with Dee Gibson. And we have a fun kind of unusual topic today. We're going to explore the intersection of design and travel. And I am just really excited to see what this brings to our conversation, as well as um, play a little bit in the space of mindful travel and uh, responsible travel and kind of how we can bring all these things together to create more um, rich and engaging travel experiences. So uh, Dee, welcome so much to Soul of Travel. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. So just to begin our conversation, I'd love for you to share with our listeners to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about who you are um, and what you do in the world of travel and a little bit in design as well, because I know that's what we're folding into this conversation. Sure. I am an interior designer and hotelier, but I will start with the travel piece because that's what we're here to talk about. I went to Sri Lanka, which is my original country of origin back in 2016 with my English husband and my children. And um, I had lived there as a little girl, but I was born and raised in the UK. And I'd always had a calling to go back. Um, Obviously, I've traveled in my life to Sri Lanka, but hadn't been for quite some time. And I was really desperate to get back there and show my children where half their heritage was from. Um, So eventually made it over in 2016 for what was meant to be just a two-week holiday, dip our toes in, and maybe if we like it, we'll keep going back. And it, for me, felt like coming home, and it really resonated with my family as well. So on the last day of that holiday, I found myself being very impulsive and buying some land. I'm a developer as well um, in, in my other life. 
And coming back to the UK, owning this piece of land, because I really didn't want to leave without knowing that I had a real tangible reason to go back. <laughs> and I don't know, it was just something that it was a it was a very strong feeling that if I didn't do that, that maybe time would pass again and yet another 15 or 16 years would go by without anything happening. So subsequent to 2016, I built what is now Calicanta House, which is a boutique hotel. It's a villa, really. It's a fully staffed villa. But we run it as a boutique hotel. We're part of the Hip Hotel collection. And um, yeah, I'm really excited about it because in the travel space, it started off as, as a way for us to have somewhere to go in terms of a home from home over in Sri Lanka. Then during the project, it morphed into an opportunity for me to showcase my design skills. But since then, actually, it's become so much more than just a location. It now embodies all of the things that I want to achieve, things that I'm very passionate about, causes that I want to support, things that I want to achieve in the space of female empowerment and all of these other wellness ideas. So it's kind of growing and morphing and organically becoming even bigger than it was intended. And then my day-to-day life in the UK is around interior design, working for private homeowners. And I work all over London. I've been doing that for 20 years. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. It really reminded me of actually every time I travel, I like near the end of the journey, I actually find myself searching for real estate. And I think maybe it's that like, I want to hang on to this experience and literally, I guess, own a part of it. Or like you said, kind of have this permanent connection or this reason to go back. And for myself, I live in Colorado in the United States, but I grew up in Montana. And again, like whenever I go there, I feel kind of like you, like this is home. And then I immediately am like, how do I create something here that kind of ties me or forces me to come back? So I have had a very similar kind of I don't know, push and pull related to that. So I really recognize what that feels like. The thing that I wanted to share too for our listeners, so we're going to a little bit later get into this idea of how travel and design can come together to create kind of this richer tapestry for our travel experiences. And um, as I was preparing for our call, I I was trying to, I guess, think about how we could convey this to to the listeners. And I was reminded of experience traveling in Thailand. And it's one that is so, like it sits so strongly in my body and my sense memory. And I was thinking, okay, this is the perfect example for how travel and design really do intersect. And I was in Thailand and I was touring, um, I believe it's Jim Thompson House, um, was a creator. And I remember arriving on the property in, in Bangkok or outside of Bangkok. And I was just like, I actually oddly had that sense of feeling home. Like it just felt so like welcoming and inviting. And just um, the energy of the property was very welcoming. And then in the tradition, you take your shoes off before you enter and it's built out of teak. And I don't think that I have ever walked on a teak floor before, but like <laughs> my feet hit the that ground and it felt like nothing I had ever experienced. And I was so like grounded into that experience and I could kind of feel like everything that kind of had been in that space before, like coming to me through the wood and the the story of this property beyond what was being told to us or whatever. And then the art and the the textures of the textiles and the openness of the building and the air coming through. And it was just this very, very vivid sensorial experience. And so I think like, you could go to a museum and learn about all these things that had happened, you know, through this company, this was what the experience was about, um, which would have been fine. But outside of that, it allowed for me to then actually have this very rich experience that um, has stayed with me. Like I don't really actually remember the tour that much. I remember how connected I was to the art and the architecture and 
um, everything that that brought me into. So I just kind of wanted to start there for sharing that experience, because I think this is something that we maybe don't pay attention to as much when we travel, and it really can allow for us to deeply connect to a space. Mm, I completely agree. You used a few words there that I think for me are key. Sensory experience, feeling grounded, you know, the fact that you didn't really pay much attention to the tour, even though the tour could have given you more information about it. Actually, what you had was this 360 sensorial experience. You smelt, you felt, you touched, you could probably taste even stuff that was in the air. You know, you wanted to look with your eyes at the art and and it's the symbiosis of all of those elements in any space that make it really special Mm -hmm. and I think what's interesting is the fact that you took your shoes off and maybe for the first time in a long time living in the western world we're in shoes the whole time we're standing on concrete we're we're walking on you know man-made surfaces the entire time And if anything lockdown has shown us is that we have this craving for the natural world And potentially in that moment, what you had when you took your shoes off was the soles of your feet had the experience. You know, I I actually believe that everything has an energy to it. But part of that comes from you were probably ready in that moment to just really experience something really different. And the fact that you had been airlifted out of, I'm sure where you live is beautiful, but essentially a concrete jungle, just like I do in London, to somewhere which is so simple. It's not overstuffed with decoration and everything's different and it's open. I mean, you even talked about feeling the breeze on your skin. All of that is part of a spatial experience, Mm -hmm. which is why I think design plays such a key part in the way we as travellers experience another culture, another country, even another area in our own country. Yeah, thank you for pulling some of those key points out because I do think it just it, it's such an amazing way to experience a place is to pay attention is to pay attention to where you are, I guess, period, but then to pay attention to literally what's surrounding you and then like you said, you know, I do love to be walking around in my bare feet, but I'm not usually walking on like this just gorgeous, very old, you know, kind of And like you said, like the energy of that wood was just something that we don't typically get to experience. And so it just, yeah, it was such a, such a powerful experience. And I guess this would be a really good segue into talking about why travel is important and, and beyond that, why conscious travel is important and how travel helps us to kind of open up our mind and creates a space where we can allow for that to happen. So very much like you were saying, the experience I just had kind of being transplanted in this different environment naturally opens some of that thing of those things up. But when we are really looking at having a mindful travel experience, kind of examining where we stay, how we engage with culture, slow travel, like that, you know, idea of moving slowly through space and time. Um, and then also some things that I know that are, you and I are both really passionate about is supporting local guides and grassroots causes when we travel. And all of those things are kind of, I think, what makes travel really matter to us and to others. So that's where I would love to, to sit in this conversation as we begin. Thank you for asking that. I guess my definition of conscious travel is there's two pieces to it. There's conscious in terms of what we've just been speaking about, which is that really paying attention to the space that we're in and also just being in the moment, turning off your phone, being with whoever you're with, whether it's your family or your partner or friends, that sort of conscious piece. And then there's conscious, which is thinking about where we're spending our money and how we're spending our money. So, and I think those two things need to go hand in hand. I think travel is really, really important for many reasons because it gives us an opportunity to experience the world. In my lifetime, automation has just skyrocketed and it's not slowing down. And actually, even today, I thought, God, I am living life at a hundred miles an hour. And on the one hand, it's brilliant that I have the ability to multitask. I used to really take pride in the fact that I could multitask. Now I think it's a curse. Yeah. 
because actually your brain is shattered into a million different places, never finish a task. And so I literally do think we're flying through our lives and we're becoming very desensitized. And I think as humans, we really need that kind of heart connection. We crave it. And, you know, we find, try to find ways of sort of fulfilling those needs. When we go traveling, we have an opportunity to take ourselves out of that speed and slow down. So slowing down gives us an opportunity to really experience place. So yes, you can go and lie on a beach somewhere, but it's kind of not very fulfilling. You know, we watch so many great programs on TV, whether it's a documentary or whether it's a, a drama or whatever. I find myself looking at background. I don't know if you do. I'm, I'm following the story, but I'm looking at houses and landscapes and God knows what else, thinking, God, you know, that needs to go on my bucket list. But to experience it is something completely different. So firstly, we need to do that because it gives us, gives us an opportunity to really understand another place. And the problem with the last two years in lockdown is whilst automation has given us an opportunity to continue to live our lives. I mean, look at us today. We're doing a Zoom call, which is fantastic because you're in Colorado. I'm in London. We can do this. It's amazing. But if our lives became so small that we were all living in our boxes 24-7, we would be devoid of any kind of emotional experience. And I think the word emotional is really important for me here. I pour it into the way I design and I pour it into the way I organize travel for my guests because I want to feel everything when I travel. I want to talk to people. I want to understand who they are. I want to go for a walk follow my nose and I might have been given a you know a sort of a, a guide as to go from A to B because that'll get you from A to B but actually it'd be quite nice to go from A to B via route C because I'm going off the beaten track you know and, and this is what we encourage people to, to do when they come to Calicanda House because rather than getting from one place to another in the shortest possible time. I think we should do it in the longest possible time when we're away because it really gives us an opportunity to understand other cultures. And, and it means that we can add a perspective to the information that we're fed through newspapers, through TV. We're bombarded, aren't we? We, we suck up so much stuff that's just fed to us and we take it in. We need to go out and start searching for answers ourselves and experiencing things ourselves so we can add our own perspective to things. So that's the sort of conscious I'm here in the moment piece. The conscious how am I spending my money piece is really important because if one is a traveler with a big purse, that's fantastic. You can travel to amazing places and stay in top hotels which have the latest technology. You know, you might be on the other side of the world, but if you want a pizza, you can have a pizza. All of these kinds of things. I don't think that that is right. Because what it means is that none of the pounds and the pence and the dollars that we are bringing into that country actually ends up in the hands of the people who need it most. And this, it needs to be an exchange between us as travelers and the people who are receiving us into their lands. If you can imagine, if you, I think of it as when I'm traveling somewhere else, as if I'm going into someone's home, we have to be respectful. We have to think about how we're spending money. There's nothing wrong with staying in really high-end establishments, which, yeah, okay, it might be expensive, but I would ask people to think about making choices that means that some of that money can be going to local craftsmen, local, local food vendors, you know, and, and, and having that sort of experience in, in a two-way exchange. Yeah, there are so many good things in what you just said, but kind of starting where you ended there is this idea of the equal exchange. And I think this is something as a traveler that I've always really been keenly aware of. And it's not been until, you know, even the last few months where I've had the language to really explain what I thought I was feeling. But for me, it was always noticing kind of how extractive 
travel felt. Like it felt very much as a consumer one-sided that this was a a very self-serving experience, especially um, in the mass tourism model where you are meant to be meeting your travelers every need and whim and making sure they're having this most fabulous experience is often the at the expense of the local economy and environment and community which you just mentioned and I didn't really know how to say it as I just articulated it in the past I always just knew it was this feeling and I I felt I would often say I felt like a voyeur like I felt like I was kind of you know looking through this glass bubble and not really even appreciating. And and I instinctively was trying to do that, but I didn't really know that path for connection and um, eventually found it in my desire to connect with women in a destination and artisans. And I started through those interactions to kind of, like you said, become more deeply immersed, slow down, start to get off the beaten path, many places like literally way off the beaten path for me. And really that's when travel started to come alive and when I saw the real value. And so I love for people who might be listening to just think about you know, what are the choices they're making? How do they feel in the travel experience? Have they ever had that kind of whisper of maybe this isn't balanced or even, and they didn't know what that meant? Um, I think it's just such a good awareness and something that, like I said, we really haven't had the language for communicating really efficiently until recent times. So I love that. And then the other thing that I wanted to tap into, and this is how we initially connected, is this idea of ethical luxury and looking at this both from kind of a design perspective, but also from a traveler perspective. And a lot of people have this notion that either uh, luxury can't be sustainable because, you know, it's too green (laughs) and, you know, ethical can't be luxurious because you must need to be like camping or in the woods or off grid or hauling your water or whatever, you know, there's these, this huge disconnect when in reality they can overlap really nicely. And so I would love for you to just share, because I know that you do that through the experiences you create at Palukanda House. Um, what does that look like and how can travelers experience kind of the best of both worlds in the, in those mm-hmm. two spaces? Mm, yeah, thank you for bringing that up because I think it's 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 a something that's really close to my heart, and um, I think the word luxury needs to be redefined. It's as far as I'm concerned, a bit of a dirty word, depending mm-hmm. on which circle you're in, because it you say luxury, it feels like it's disposable. It's just people with money can just have whatever they want, come what may. It doesn't matter what's happening to the local landscape. I guess there is that kind of price tag element to the word luxury. And unfortunately, I think that's sort of overtaken the entire concept of what it is. For me, luxury is about being sensorial, comfort, you know, having all of the things that you were describing in your, you know, when you, when you first, when we first started talking about how things feel on your skin, what you're smelling, what you're eating, what you're putting into your mouth, who you're talking to, where you're sleeping everything that you're looking at, how is it made? So when I was building Calacanda House, I wanted to build in a colonial vernacular because it was something that was very close to my heart and reminded me of my time in Sri Lanka with my grandparents when I was little. I lived there when I was little between the age of six months and three. So I wanted the old Wallawai style building with the old roof tiles and columns and all of this kind of stuff. But I wanted to make sure that everything that I used in terms of materials and the interior's finishings would be sourced from the local landscape, using local builders, using local artisans, etc. And when we bought the land, there was a really beaten up old bungalow um, on the land and it had old shutter. I mean, everything was just broken, but we kept as much as we could. We took off all the old roof tiles. We reused those. And then went and sourced more, you know, for, for the extra because the new site was so much bigger. I kept all the old doors and shutters and then had new ones made in local sustainable wood. And the old ones were refurbished. And they're actually, the design, I, I designed the building 
to kind of talk to the original building. So in terms of shape, if you saw the original and the new one, I could point out where the old windows and doors were in the old building and where they are now. And they're in a sort of similar location. It felt right to me. It felt like um, I wasn't raping and pillaging the land, (laughs) if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. When I built the columns, I wanted to make sure that a local craftsman was was making them. So this little guy came in and he sat there and handcrafted each column. I went and chose the tiles locally. All of the interiors, fittings and um, furnishings are from antiques places. So I went and spent, I mean, this was over the course of a year, of course. So in between having my site visits with the builders, I'd then go off and look at all the antiques places. And I got to know the people who ran these antiques shops and um, I haven't told this story in a while, actually, but there was one, I, I ended up sourcing from two or three shops in the end. And one of the places, the owner said to me, he was, he said he had his business back in 2004 when the tsunami struck. Now, around our part of coastline, as you know, Sri Lanka was hit badly in, in the tsunami of 2004. And it was hit really badly on the southern coast. And he said, they saw the wave coming. And all of these people were sort of running back into land shouting, shouting for everyone to sort of run because, you know, danger was on its way. He just had his son. So his son was about three months older than my daughter at the time, just born. He grabbed his son and he literally ran up into the hill and managed to to make it away. By the time he came back down to his shop, the whole thing was decimated. And so over the last 18 years or whatever, he's rebuilt his business. And it was really nice because I had an opportunity to speak to the person who owns this shop, we built a relationship. I sourced most of my, my pieces from him. He'd, he'd refurbished them for me. Then he ended up making all our four poster beds by hand. And it was a really lovely relationship that I built because I took the time to speak to someone. I was adamant that I didn't want anything to be shipped in. So for me, ethical luxury is about creating a space which is luxurious but it's not about the fact that it cost a lot of money to make. The luxury comes in the time that was spent to create it, the love that went into it, the stories behind it. The antiques are very precious because they've been around for a long time. But to be honest, they were sitting in the back of the shop underneath everything because when I was building, you know, the antiques weren't really a, a thing that was necessarily sought after. So there's that piece about how something's made and whether we're respecting the local landscape, where we're spending our money, who we're sourcing from. And then there's the ethical piece about, for me, encouraging my guests to understand the history of the building. I mean, I know the building's only a few years old, but history as in, actually, it's kind of older. It has an older soul Mm -hmm. because I've used a lot of the original pieces. It's full of antiques with history. Like you said, you stood on that teak and you felt the energy. You come into Calacana House, you can feel the energy. I guarantee it. Everyone tells me so. And I know it myself. I laid the foundation stone. The foundation stone is underneath the sofa in the main living room. You know, so, And you can feel all, the, all of that because you hear the story of the build. And then when we encourage people to go out, like I said, have amazing experiences. You can have fantastic food in top-class hotels and restaurants equally and I encourage people to do this, I ask them to mix that up by going to the local street vendor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we point out what, where to go and, you know, talking to people on, on the way there. And it's, it's about the two do not have to be mutually exclusive. And I think we need to find a way of redefining this so that people can feel like they're staying in a beautiful luxury or risk place. So it, behind the layers, by the way, the infrastructure of Calacanda is built such that, I mean, I was born and raised in the UK. Um, I like my mod comms. So I, for example, I've made sure that the plugs that we have at Calacanda are international plugs. So I don't have to take a, you know, an adapter there the whole time. The mattresses are really, really soft. I've got really gorgeous rain dance shower heads. But those are the things that make our lives comfortable and the things that I understand as essentially a Westerner. But I'm living in Sri Lanka while I'm there. And um, I don't think there is anything wrong with wanting to have nice things and stay in beautiful places. I think there is something wrong if it stops there Mm -hmm. and there's no appreciation 
of the people and the landscape and where we are and leaving a piece of ourselves behind. Mm-hmm. I keep saying it is an exchange. It's a cultural exchange. It's a financial exchange. You know, this is how the world will continue or should continue to evolve. I think it's evolved in the last two years. We've gone backwards. We need to get out back out there and feel some skin. Hey, it's Christine, interrupting this episode for a moment to make sure you know you still have time to join our 2022 Lotus Book Sojourn. This is a unique journey exploring the heart, the mind, and the globe through the pages of nine specially selected books written by inspiring female authors. Your year-long journey will include 18 guided virtual discussions with a community of like-hearted women as well as weekly journaling prompts and reflection, and an assigned travel companion for each book in the journey. Last year, women said this was one of the most surprising and impactful experiences they had. Join us for rich discussion, meaningful connection, and opportunity for exploration from the comfort of your home or wherever you might be in 2022. Our first book club gathering on Zoom is January 12th. Visit the website at www.lotussojourns.com backslash book sojourn to join today. Now back to our soulful conversation. Hmm. I keep thinking, and you mentioned too, this, this idea of the energy, but I'm thinking about, for me, luxury very much like you is this sensorial experience. It's something I feel wrapped in or enrobed in, right? And I think it's become translated in, you know, silk is luxurious, but silk used to be luxurious because of what it took to produce it or to get it. And the same with, you know, teaks or um, metal, precious metals, like they were this thing that it was a luxury because of uh, what it took to to get it, but also like the stories that went along with that. And then that was kind of, I keep coming back to like early explorers and like these, these things that used to be like elusive and magical and um, provide this sense of like awe and rapture. And it got lost. Like somehow we just hung a hold of like the material goods and not the experience part of it. And so I think it's really lovely to think about that. And I know when I've just, I've stayed in a place, you know, you can feel if it's a place that was just whipped up and created to lodge a tourist, or if it was built with love and intention and care, like you're mentioning, like you, you can literally, like, you can feel that old door and it will give you the love and the respect. And, and then the energy exchange is you appreciating it. You're leaving your, your love and appreciation there for the next person. And um, I mean, I think that's kind of maybe a, a difficult concept perhaps for some listeners to understand, but I think it happens without your knowing and your awareness. So you don't necessarily need to, you know, I guess be fully conscious to that experience, but it happens. I mean, it's like sitting at your grandmother's table and like knowing the story of the cracks in the wood or the meals that have been laid upon it. And if you enter into that space, you're going to feel that love, you know, whether, whether you're fully aware of it or not. And the experience you have in these two different types of spaces are going to just allow you to have two different experiences, even if they're right next to each other. And so I just really invite people to explore how they can have that type of experience by looking for a local property, um, asking the stories of things. Um, I think in many properties, especially when you travel, everything is very intentionally chosen, like a placemat, a bowl, a plant, like they, all these pieces have stories that tell us about where we are and why we're there. I mean, maybe perhaps it helps clean the air or it keeps away insects or something like that. But it's still like, once you know that you've, you've stepped into another level of immersion within a design and a destination and a culture, and you start to like, just paint a different picture for yourself. Mm. Um, It's really true. But I, I I think that's true. And I think also it's, it's, kind of easy to put it into perspective if we think about going about our daily lives and for example going out to dinner to your favorite restaurant or your favorite bar or 
even we have friends who have houses that we might think, I really love that kitchen or I really love that lounge. It's what is it about that space or the design of that space? And maybe it hasn't been designed, but it's been put together to make you feel whatever it is you want to feel, whether you want to feel happy or uplifted or chilled out. The design of a space will help to evoke those feelings. Good design will help to evoke those feelings. We can look at a glossy magazine and in theory, something could look conceptually beautiful, but actually it leaves us feeling devoid of something, right? A beautifully curated space could look conceptually, wow, that looks like a nice space. I don't want to walk into it though. I actually want to look at and walk into the picture on the next page of this magazine, which is cozy and higgledy-piggledy and there are books in the background and there are photos of people and I can see people laughing or, or whatever it is. And all of those things together come to create the energy of a space to make us feel something. And this is what travel is all about. This is what design is about, travel is about, life is about what we feel. I think we've just lost the ability to sit in a feeling. It's Mm -hmm. always so fleeting. Going out for dinner is too short. Seeing friends is too short. You get that three-hour hit, go to bed, up to work the next day, and we're in automaton world. Does that make sense? It's, It's not enough to, we need more of that sort of connection. So if we can think about what it is we like here, it's the same thing when you go on holiday, right? You're not gonna have such a enriched experience if you're not staying somewhere that gives you that sort of feeling of comfort. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't even have to be actually that super comfortable. It could be that actually you live in a super comfortable house and you just want to get back out in nature and lie on a blanket under the stars because you want to feel the air on your skin. Whatever it is that you might want, you have to think about the feeling that you're trying to achieve mm-hmm. and how the space around you is going to give it to you. Yeah, And I also want to mention as well, part of that experience is talking to the staff wherever you stay. When I say, you know, the people who, who are there to serve you and who put a lot of thought into making your beds, putting the, you know, creating the animals out of towels that they put on your beds, you know, mm-hmm. is your water cold enough? Would you like a, another meal? You know, so for example, at my place, which is sole occupancy, we often have guests who come because it's sole occupancy they can stay up till one or two o'clock in the morning they can stay up all night if they want to because the place is entirely theirs and the staff are up not hovering around but they're up because they want to make sure that you're comfortable and you know you're well fed and you're well watered and then the guests go off to bed and it's probably not really until they get back to the UK that they think god those guys were then up at 7am the next morning to, to look after. So it's really kind of thinking about the fact that whether staff are staff or not, they're still people. And it's how we treat the people around us. We'll get the best out of that experience as well, if that makes sense. It does. And I think it's so interesting thinking about, again, I think it's kind of this Western, fast paced, like you said, automated lifestyle. Like we've almost been taught to not look at those things. If, you know, you go for a quick weekend in, I don't know, Boston or New York or London or something like you, you're going, you're in there. You don't, you just expect your room to be clean. You never see the people who've done it. Like it's very detached. Like you don't typically have the opportunity for that connection and those travel experiences. And then you travel somewhere, um, you know, like Sri Lanka, when I was in Bali, I had this, like we stayed in a, in a sole occupancy house and the family that is the staff there, you know, much like you said, they, every need was met, but also like they were so, they became a part of our family for that week or so that we were in that house. And that interaction enriched the experience. Like we ended up leaving books for them and they had kids the same ages and like, liked one of the other, our kids shirts. And so we, you know, they swapped things and like, it just became something so much more like we mm-hmm. could have just gone to that house, never acknowledged, just expected to have our needs met without creating that connection but because we did because we allowed whatever maybe this supposed barrier or um 
I mean, I think some people think they're not supposed to engage that way. We like dismissed that and allowed for this real connection to happen. And, you know, then it also led to us having this driver who was a family friend who took us to a friend's restaurant who knew like someone who created this jewelry we were looking for. And all of a sudden we're very much having this fabulous really great experience that if you had stayed up on the surface and again this is probably the same like if if you're on the surface that's all you're going to get and all of this magic is underneath and so we just Mm -hmm. need to kind of like be brave enough to peel that back ourselves and get in there and then allow for that connection to happen and then this is again like what we where we started where travel really becomes this thing that helps helps us to open our minds and creates connections breaks down norms and stereotypes and allows for all these amazing things to happen that are so much greater than a travel experience. And I think it begins with that container and the connection that you were speaking of. Mm -hmm. I think that's right. And a word that I'd like to pick up on is becoming braver, because that is probably exactly what we need to do. But at the same time, that expression also suggests that we need to be brave because it's big and scary out there and it's not Mm -hmm. and that's the problem we've become so sensitive to danger and like I said all the news and and all the views that are fed to us and we take it on board as fact as opposed to opinion unless it's science-based it's not fact it's opinion right Mm -hmm. and it's experience-based And so I think it's completely understandable when you're going to the other side of the world, particularly if you've got a family and you've got young children in tow, of course, you should have concerns. You you absolutely have to ask all those questions about how to keep your family safe. And I think it's important. I personally think it's really important to make sure that when we are traveling and we're being a bit more adventurous and which I would love more people to be including ourselves here in my household, is to book a destination while speaking to someone who knows the destination. And if you're not speaking to an agent who has experienced it, who loves doing that off the beaten track stuff and is on the same page as you about what luxury level you want, if you're not speaking to them and you can't speak to the owner, everyone who comes to stay at Calicanda House talks to me. Even if they've come to a tra- travel agent, there is not one person who stays in, in that place without speaking to me because I want to make sure that they have that experience. And that is the way to enable guests and travel travellers to feel comfortable. Yes, you've got young children. These are the things that you can do really, really safely. And you are going to have a brilliant time because you're going to be talking to people and experiencing, and like you say, getting under those layers. And we're going to keep you safe. There are obviously places in any, any country, including Sri Lanka, that you shouldn't go to. I wouldn't go to. And that, you know, those are things. So it's kind of making sure that we can sort of be slightly curated within when we go out, but to, to be on holiday, but at the same time to then be empowered to have those experiences and start to realize that, oh, it's actually really not that scary at all. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, I could be braver. You know, I, I, it's just an interesting point. I think it's it's interesting how language can really change one's perception of yeah. what's on the other side of the world. Yeah. I, and I, I mean, I hear that often when I travel by myself or travel, I mean, I, I'm I guess most often off the beaten path when I travel and that's something I get asked all the time. And yet I, I mean, there's probably been, I can't even think of a handful of times where I maybe actually felt that I was truly, you know, unsafe or something could have happened and maybe something, maybe it was out of my awareness, but for the most part, it's just that kind of what we were saying, like there's these norms or expectations or these things that that we have created to kind of keep ourselves safe but they're just this false sense of security or this false there's nothing true there's nothing true to that that sense of safety and security and and really when we like step away from that is that we become invited as members of communities and families and that's where we feel very safe I'm I had a again in Bali had a driver who 
um, really wanted me to see the sunset at this certain spot. I was on my way to the airport, but I had probably from when he picked me up till I was needing to fly out like eight hours. And he was just going to drive me to the airport because that was what is arranged, but then realized I was going to sit there for like six hours or something ridiculous. And so he was like, oh, please, may I suggest something? And so he took me to this place to see the sunset. And then as we were driving back and we had all these great conversations on, on the way there and the way back, someone in his family called and said, you know, I thought you were at the doctor. And he's like, no, I, I met this woman. I was driving her. I rescheduled my appointment because I wanted her to have this experience. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, wow. that doesn't happen in the real world. Right. But that happened in this real world. And it was such a gift. And again, like just allowing people to have that experience and, and like my, my, I guess like regimented mindset is like, is this okay? Should this man be taking me somewhere? I don't know where we're going. Like all these things that like, I don't know, these alarm bells that would go off in our daily life. None of them were true. Like this person had the purest of intentions and in fact allowed me to have this incredible experience because I let all of that go. Yeah. I was going to say, I wonder how much of that as well was because if, if it, did you say it was at the end of your holiday? So you'd already yeah. peeled back a few layers right? and perhaps started to feel quite comfortable and had a chance to sort of tune in, you know, whatever we call it, whether it's gut instinct or intuition, every single person has it. And when we have the, when we have the time to slow down, you know, obviously we have to be careful and it's not hundred percent. Well, I don't know, actually, I think your intuition and your gut instinct, you know, if someone is off, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting. I think if we don't do that, then across the world, wherever we stay, we're going to be very limited to having the same experiences as everybody else. Mm-hmm. It's just like everyone painting their houses grey. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, what's the darn thing? Well, the darn thing should be doing your thing, <laughs> not what someone is telling us we should be doing. Yeah. And I think that's where the true challenge lies is where we are so used to kind of tuning out that internal voice. Uh, like, you know, we, we start kind of, and this will probably open like a six hour conversation, but <laughs> I'll try to like keep it in, but you know, like tuning out that voice, checking boxes, following the paths that are laid out before us. And, and we forget how to listen to all of those things. And we forget who we are internally. And, you know, for me, this is what travel does allow for me to do is to be like, wait a second, I actually don't enjoy this experience that is packaged and given so frequently, like I really enjoy this experience. And, and it's okay that people like both types of those experience. But what's more important is that you're listening to what you truly enjoy. And if we're going to invest in ourselves and invest in travel and invest in communities and invest in time with one another, like we should be doing it from this faith that is really filling us up. And so I think what I love for people that are listening to hear is just what is that? Ask those questions, dig a little deeper. What do you, like you said at the beginning, what do you want to feel during this experience? What do you want to feel at the end of this experience? Like start from there and then build backwards, like then find the pieces that get you to that feeling versus we go on vacation and hope we feel a certain way. (laughs) But we just, we just picked this destination because everyone's going there without actually asking that question. And maybe we need to craft it from the end results that we're wishing for and not just the opposite direction, which is the way we normally do it. I think I would also say that for anyone who's not quite sure how to go about that, because how long is a piece of string in some ways, I would say allow some time in your schedule to have those off-piste experiences. You know, just say, right, I, I just want to do two things in that two-week holiday. I mean, I mean, that's not very much, but you could just say, I want to do two things in that two-week holiday. And I'm going to do the first thing quite soon say within three days, I've landed, I've kind of had my sleep, I've had my sangria or gin and tonics or whatever it might be. Now I'm going to go and explore in order to have that feeling. 
Because once you've had the feeling, the chances are you might want to do it again and you've still got plenty of time left in your schedule. And then what I would say is however that made you feel, don't be afraid to change the plan. Because if your plan is quite structured and regimented, do not be, you've got one life. We've got one life. And if during your two-week holiday, which you thought you were going to be doing X, Y, Z in, on day three or four, you think, actually, I feel like doing that thing over there, which is completely not something that we were thinking about doing, but God, it felt so good. All those people really enjoyed it. And it was all about going off into the, I don't know, interior and talking to these people, seeing the sunset from that spot. Those are the moments, if it feels right and the vibration is there, you follow. You just go and do it because you will never forget that moment. And I think that's what every holiday, actually, that's what life should be about. But if that's all, we can only get that from our holidays. We should try and cram it in as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, before we wrap up our conversation, um, I want to invite you to share how people can find um, Kalakanda House, how they can book that experience. And then also, I know that you are working on a program that you're just kind of ready to tease a little bit, but I want people to know it's there for them um, in the future. And then lastly, we'll have a little bit of a rapid fire questions as we end our conversation. Oh, wow. Rapid fire questions. That sounds a bit scary. Um, well, thank you. So hopefully you'll be able to sh- uh, share in your podcast notes about Calicanda House. So once you've found the, the website, we're based on the southern coast of Sri Lanka. We're two hours, two and a half hours um, from Colombo, which is where one lands. It's like going down the M1. It's a very modern highway system. And then it, we're, you know, by the beach and where we are and what we offer is an opportunity for you to have the sort of beach part of your Sri Lanka experience. If you're traveling around, if you have plenty of time, you're lucky enough to travel around the whole island. What some people like to do is come have a beach section at the end, but it's not just lying on the beach. We have so many things that we can do and that people can experience. And I really encourage our guests, like I said, to go out and touch some skin. So we talk to everyone who comes to stay and find things that they would be interested in. Um, whether it's cooking in our chef's house in his garden and so you know his family can be coming and going and you can he can take you out to the local market and you can choose the ingredients with him from the calicanda menu cook it in his garden or you can go to the local white tea plantation have a tour do some tea tasting buy some tea you know the massages all of that kind of thing so equally we can do day trips to elephant safari we had one group who came to stay with us for almost three weeks. And I honestly thought that they were going to be bored and they ran out of time. Mm. They just did so much stuff. They were really adventurous. You know, they went out on, on a fishing trip with our chef, caught some fish, came back and cooked it at the villa. And um, so these are the things, and they just went off peace. They just did what they wanted to do. They followed their hearts and they had a, a really beautiful time. So that's something that I really encourage. In terms of the program, something that's very close to my heart is just the idea that women should be more empowered, even in this day and age. And uh, we've come a long way, but certainly it was something that I felt very acutely when I was building. It was unusual to have a woman as the boss on the site calling the shots and being quite clear on what she wanted. I mean, it's something I do day in and day out in London, but in Sri Lanka. So I became quite aware of the fact, I mean, the build team that I had were brilliant. There were were female project managers. And Sri Lanka in in many places can be cosmopolitan, but in some places it's a little bit more parochial. And I became aware that as a woman, I had a lot of privileges that a a lot of women don't have over there. But then I've noticed that even in the West, in London, I'm aware of people who perhaps are feeling a bit disenfranchised and they could be extremely successful and established in in what they're doing, but they feel really disconnected. So bringing those sort of two things together, what I really wanted to do was have add some more meaning to what Calicanda House stands for. And I feel like I've been very blessed that it's been some luck and been some life decisions to get me to where I am now. There's a long way that I still want to go. But I wanted to create a program that would enable women who are feeling disenfranchised and just 
So what do I want to do with the rest of my life to explore that in an environment which is nurturing, but also quite structured in terms of finding a path to understanding what might be whispering away here. And it's something that I've only become really tuned into in the last decade or so. In fact, the reason I built Calacanda House was because something inside me was screaming, go to Sri Lanka. Since 2012, I've been wanting to go. It took me four years to get out there. And then I bought some land, boom, the rest is history. And I feel like, wow, I had an opportunity, a chance to sit down and act on that. Not everyone has that, but that's just because they don't have the time to sit. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to give away too much, but essentially it is a retreat of sorts that will span over a length of time, a few months, where women can come together in small groups and really explore what it is that they want to achieve and to help them to do it. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I think that that's something that will really resonate for so many people. And um, like I said, you know, where we get so good at turning that off because it seems unimportant or unnecessary or whatever. And I've talked to so many women that they're like, you know, this part of them like held up the sign and is like, this is what you want. And we're like, no, just put that sign down. And then yes. you see the sign again and you're like, no, would you just quit with that sign already? And then you like get a little further down the path and you look at you like you finally hear it or you find it or you 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 recognize it and you're like okay I'm, I'll see the sign and then you turn and you like see all the signs and you're like oh my gosh and but we've just why didn't been, I do this before yeah we've been so <laughs> yeah. conditioned I think I don't know what that is but I, I feel like this comes up and a, and a lot of times the women I'm speaking to are are often the ones that that finally like you said you know went to Sri Lanka like listened to the nudge did the thing and then and then they, they they got to this next place of being and feeling and seeing and awareness. And, and I think often, and, and I'm grateful for you in doing this as well, then we turn around and we're like, wait, who is standing there behind me that's still not looking at this or seeing this or hearing this? And I want them to feel it too, right? We don't want this for our own selves. We want it for everyone in our periphery and, and everyone in general. And so um, thank you for, um, I'm, I'm excited to hear as this continues to unfold so thank you so to end uh, I have seven questions and these are really just to allow listeners to get to know you a little bit more and to know you as a traveler and uh, what inspires you so uh, what is your favorite book or perhaps movie that offers you a travel escape or inspires you to adventure now what is that writer's name there's a beautiful writer and of course you've asked me the question you put me on the spot now but um she is a south american author and the name will come to me in a moment isabella allende i absolutely love all of her books i love the way she writes because her stories are beautifully written so i love fiction beautifully written fiction because it's an escape for me and um but she always sets her books in a specific time in the past. And she does so much research that actually you get a history lesson as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she writes these huge, beautiful stories with amazing characters. They really absorb me. I kind of, I wouldn't say I'm an avid reader, but I love a good story. And when I pick up a new Isabel Allende book, I'm absorbed mm-hmm. and I learn something. So that's my travel escape. I'm looking at, I think this is the same author here. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's, it's literally, it's what I'm reading right now. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> really? That's so um, funny. Yeah. Yeah. She's fabulous, isn't she? Fantastic. Yeah. She's good in interview as well. You should listen to her. I will. I will. Um, what is always in your suitcase or perhaps backpack when you travel? What is always in my suitcase or backpack? Um, something scented, my rose scent. I have a number of different rose scents. Like it just makes me feel, I don't know, it calms me, you know. So um, I have a little squirt if I get on the plane or if I go to, and, and actually uh, we have rose scent at um, Calicanda quite often, but just, yeah, just something that smells really soft mm. and like home. Yeah. 
uh, what, where is your favorite destination? Apart from Sri Lanka. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, actually it is. A, um, okay. I'm not, I'm going to say somewhere else because that's kind of cheating. I actually really love at the South of France. And um, for years, we, w- we were going with friends to stay in various um, sort of chalets and cottages and things and around or- Orange and in Provence. And um, I just think it's beautiful. I love it. I love the old cobble streets. I love the light, the stone, the yeah. food, the people. Everyone's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all luxurious in that way. Yeah. Where do you still long to visit? I would love to go to South America, actually. I would really like to travel around South America, but not in a two-week holiday. I have a dream that, assuming my hips don't fall apart and I don't creak and get too old too quickly, that I can take a few months off and just slowly, slowly travel around. I wouldn't backpack, but I'd like to mix in a few long train journeys and then stay in a place, you mm-hmm. know, and get to know the place a little bit and then move on. So kind of a, a traveler with a bit of comfort. Yeah. What do you eat that immediately connects you to a place you've been? Red wine. <laughs> Red wine <laughs> from the south of France just reminds me of just lovely evenings spent with friends there I think it's drink actually drinks tend to do that to me mango mango drinks in Sri Lanka coffee takes me back to a place and I think it's that sense of taste and smell which is so interconnected Mm -hmm. so for me it's a drink and it could be the wine it could be coffee it could be a soft drink but that generally is something that will transport me back yeah I love that too quite quickly it's so sensorial too, in that you're, you know, you're holding the container and the container is often a unique shape or, you know, there's all these different components and it's very similar and comforting and yet like different and unique. I, one of my friends, she really like, you know, whether it's coffees or teas or wines or liquors, like those are the things she's drawn to. And I think that's what it is. It's about like this thing that's both familiar and new and comforting and like experiential and yeah, that's very. Yeah, it's true. It. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who was the person that inspired or encouraged you to set out and explore the world? I think probably my grandfather. Definitely my grandfather on my mother's side. Um, he was a civil engineer, and he travelled around Sri Lanka when I lived with them when I was little. He used to take me around with him, and so I have some kind of really early memories. And then he came and lived in in London with us. And it just always felt like his work was something that he did in other places. He didn't kind of just go to the office every day. And it just, I think he was quite an adventurer at heart. Probably would have liked to have explored the world a bit more. But actually both my grandfathers travelled a bit with their work. So I think it. I, I probably got it from them. Yeah. And lastly, if you could take an adventure with one person, fictional or real, alive or past, who would it be? Oh, my God. That is a good question. The person that springs to mind is Boudicca. I would love to travel around <laughs> with a warrior woman, um, not necessarily destroying everything, obviously, but I think it would be really interesting to sit on someone's shoulders or be a fly on the wall and understand what it was like to be a warrior woman in, in previous times, you know, when the world was a lot more rough and tumble and way before we had social media, way before countries even discovered each other. Mm-hmm. I think it would be interesting to see what life was like before we became kind of this melting pot of being yeah. able to see each other. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This is, um, I've really just been looking forward to kind of looking at this conversation since we met. And I'm so grateful for you giving us the time today and um, excited for people to learn about Kalukanda House and to hopefully be able to travel there and meet you and be able to experience that for themselves. 
Oh, I'd love that. And thank you so much. You really got me thinking. You asked some great questions and got me thinking about those answers. So it was, it was wonderful. It was really lovely. I enjoyed that chat a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Soul of Travel. I hope you enjoyed the journey. If you love this conversation, I encourage you to subscribe, rate the podcast, and share the episodes that inspire you with others. I am so proud of the way these conversations are bringing together people from around the world. If this sounds like your community, welcome. I am so happy you are here. You can find all the ways you can be a part of the Soul of Travel and Lotus Sojourns community at www.lotussojourns.com. Here you can learn more about Soul of Travel and my guests. You can see details about the transformational sojourns I guide for women, as well as my book Sojourn, which offers an opportunity to explore your heart, mind, and the world through the pages of books specially selected to create a unique journey. I am all about community and would love to connect. You can find me on Facebook at Lotus Sojourns and join our community, the Lotus Sojourns Collective, or follow me on Instagram, either at Lotus Sojourns or at Soul of Travel Podcast. Stay up to date by joining the Lotus Sojourns mailing list. I look forward to getting to know you and hopefully hear your story. Your story.